0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. And I'm sure this is going to be a rather upbeat podcast after last night's terrific 3 no win over Newcastle. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, joined today by Gav Buckland, Chris Beasley and Joe Thomas to look back on Everton's victory over Eddie Howe's side of Goodison Park and of course look ahead to some of these big games against Chelsea. But lads, there is only one place to start, and that is at Goodison Park on Thursday night. We often say Goodison runs the floodlights; it rocks, it moves. Joe, last night, it done all that and more as Everton Storms will three 0 victory.
1: What a win! What a win! That's all I can say. Like, I mean, there are so many different talking points and tangents we can go off on, and you know, compare it to you know, the, the stark contrast with when Newcastle came in in April and the, the the desolation that we all felt after that game. You compare that to the, you know, to to the feeling. Uh, after yesterday and and, it couldn't be a starker contrast, but just what a win and just what a feeling to be walking out of that stadium knowing that less than one month after being hit with the greatest points deduction in top flight history, Everton are already out of the relegation zone, as I wrote in my match report and after the the asterisk is not an anchor and what a bloody amazing feeling that is. Gav.
0: You were Talking before we come on air, and you said that was the best goodest performance you've seen since he beat Manchester City 4-0. Yeah. Under Ronald Coomer. What was so good about him? Um, what was so
2: good about it, that we plays well. I don't know if he plays well, I thought he we plays well for 90 minutes. We started well, and I get what everybody said after 16 minutes, thinking we've seen this before mm-hmm. five or six times of goodest in this season. So it was soon, you know, as soon as McNeil scored, I think the first goal. We said before we came on air that it reminded me very much in atmosphere than, and the performance of beating Manchester City 4-0 a similar game where we didn't have the bulk of possession but in the second half the excitement built and built and like City we were winning two and another thing to late on mm-hmm. and then Tom Dave scores the excitement goes up a little bit and then I think Luckman scored Luckman an injury time yeah. didn't he and that was a bit like last night wasn't it where as soon as McNeil goes the excitement and the passion you know rose and then we scored another and then we scored like like against City scored the goal deep in into time and I and, and I think it was, I think it was a combination of things, but we played well. Ultimately that was that was what pleased me. And uh, we got we, that that home performance has been I know we beat Bournemouth 3 now. We've been making for that all season, I mean really in terms of you know um converting chances into goals against a quality team and yeah, it was uh, spot on and uh,
0: not many over the last even ten years really. We will talk about the psychological aspect of the relegation zone mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but Chris Elmport was it that and won last night because yeah. I think to draw about after 70 minutes in the press box and was kind of like, <clears> yeah, I don't know, kind of how this is going to end here because Everton was yeah. chance after chance after chance and I thought around the hour mark. Everton looked a little bit tired. Newcastle started to get back into it, obviously Gordon had like that that chance where he pounced yeah. on James Tarkowski's mistake, but Everton found a way to get over the line mm-hmm. and in the end it was quite a fatted, but just finds a way to get over the line and get that. First prime, you get that burden off your back is a is a huge achievement,
3: isn't it? Yeah, as Joe said, you know the contrast to you know the corresponding fixture last, last season. There was always a huge incentive for Everton last night. You know, after building on the the result and the performance at Nottingham Forest, um, they they were um, they were a, um, a, an opportunity. They knew that they would be out of the, the relegation zone um, should they um, be able to beat um, Newcastle United. So. Yeah, it was frustrating, like we said, for for, for a long time. It was positive because they were carving out all those chances. And let's not forget Dwight McNeil had a really inviting chance himself in the first half. He probably should have got his second goal in two games a bit earlier on. He missed one. Calvert-Lewin had a clutch of chances, including that... Um, that volley from close range, I think he really should have been back with a goal. So we were the longer it went on, we're thinking, oh, here we go again. You know, it's going to be another frustrating night. Get hit by the sucker punch. But I think just the momentum totally changed. Once once Dwight McNeil did put Everton ahead, I mean, there's no guarantee it was going to finish 3-0. But I think you you, you had that feeling that, yeah, this, this is going to be an Everton win now. This is going Everton's way. And uh, yeah, they finished with a flourish.
0: How big, Joe, is that kind of Everton getting in the ascendancy and going one right front, and then Kyron going for the kill. Obviously, they end up getting two and end up getting three because we've seen in recent time where Everton where they perhaps go in front, some panic a little bit and then sit back and defend. <coughs> Last night, there was one of that they pounced and they took the chances when they come. How important is that, even Everton, that they didn't sense this one? I think we're just going to need to grind this out. Now they went for the, the kill and got it. Got it.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, well, we know the Deitch that Everton have never lost a game after going one 0 up and they've never won a game after going 1-0 down. So, I mean, the first goal is as important as it could possibly be under Sean Dyche. I think that, um, like, I agree with what you're saying, in the center, after Everton got the lead, they carried on pushing. And so often, you know, like to Brighton and other games, we've seen them almost sit back and just... Uh, I, I almost... By me wonders how much of that was actually on purpose and how much it was just driven by the momentum in the stadium. Um, after they got that goal, you know, good as some was electric. And I think that... It wasn't just what it did in the stands that goal, but it was the belief that it kind of injected into the veins of the Everton players, but also the the disbelief in in the Newcastle players. You know, I think it was a bit of a psychological blow for Newcastle. They're they're a side that we know is a very good side, a very capable side, and a side that even with the injuries that they have at the moment it's still been pulling off some very impressive results. But they probably got to that hour mark and thought we'd win the storm here. And I think we all thought we've seen this story before. But it was quite telling, I think, that you know around the key moments around that hour mark probably came from Gordon and Trippier. Gordon missed a good opportunity. Yeah. It was clear he was having an increasing impact on that game. It almost became a battle between Gordon and and Everton's defence and Pickford for about five minutes, but he didn't take the chances. And then obviously it was Trippier who gave away the ball, slipped for for, for Dwight McNeil to pounce on and then score so I think it was the timing of the goal was important obviously what that goal did to the the, the crowd but also what it did on the pitch probably had a greater saying than anything that Deitch had intentions wise in the dugout because it just created a surge of momentum behind Everton and, and that belief and all of a sudden the press has become that bit sharper and then you see the second goal same thing happens again it, it was Harrison pressing Trippian it's another Trippian mistake and that's you know, obviously this is about Everton, but I think that's probably quite of by Newcastle at the moment. Because when you think of Gordon and Trippie, they're probably two of the players that most personally feel responsibility for what Newcastle are doing. And the fact that they couldn't make any inroads against an Everton side that you know, was stubborn and stood in their way for large parts of that game was better than them. You saw it all come crashing down and you know, so often, including when Newcastle came to Everton um, in April we've seen that, the reverse of that happen. You know, Everton, including in that game, be competitive for large periods of games, but then when they concede that first goal, especially under Lampard, it probably correcting this is probably the, the the biggest improvement that Deitch has made, albeit haven't, haven't come back to get a win. But that collapse after going 1-0 behind doesn't happen very often. Obviously it happened at Aston Villa and it hasn't happened again this season for Everton. And it was quite refreshing to see. And, it was quite refreshing for probably the first time this season and probably the first time against a really good side under Sean Deitch to see Everton expose the psychological fragility of somebody else and pounce on it and go for the kill and be ruthless. And then all of a sudden there's chances they're missing in the first half. Like those chances they're missing against Manchester United and countless other times at Goodison Park so far this season. All of a sudden they were going in and, you know, it's just incredible what that first goal, because I think it, that goal did kind of come out of nothing. So Newcastle were in the ascendancy ever and had you know, played out the script that we'd seen time and time again. And then it comes from a mistake from Trippier, Dwight McNeil, you know, a fitting goal scorer, I think, under, under Deitch. And I was, was, was to gore it. And then after that, you know, we, you know, the rest is history. And it was just really, really good to see Everton be so clinical.
0: We are. Broadcasting on Facebook Live, so if you do have any questions, please send them over. And we've already had one from Anne Marie Brunford. Gareth, you can answer this one. Who scored the best goal last night? <laughs> um, I think it would be the first or third, wouldn't it? Really?
2: Um, oh, no, actually, because the second one with the team. <laughs> team, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, have you got how much we got along? We got here. I would say the first goal is always important for us at home, isn't it? As Joe was saying, you know, we don't lose when we score first. And you, you're thinking that you, you you know, same old story. So I, I would go with the the first goal because, and there was a great goal by his back there. There's a lovely strike of the ball, isn't he? And, and hey, we worked hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we talked to me before, before our time. He said, I wish he had the right foot because every time he crosses the ball, he's so left footed, it's always yeah. out. You know, why can't right he use his right foot? And then. Careful towards the goal, then she text me after the game <laughs> i take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so but they were all I mean different goals, second goal pressed so hard, didn't meet Harrison. Uh, complete miskick kick by you know It's <laughs> a bit like Moyes Keane that time at well, Watford, do you remember when Walcott yeah. scored the winner, didn't um, Keane miss kicked them through everybody. So that was a, that was another goal in a different great goal in a different way. And the third goal, what, twenty-nine passes, wasn't it? And uh good finish by Beto. Um so they were all all different goals, but I would go for the first because that was the most most important one, I think, on the night. And um so I'm gonna go with that, but there's an
0: argument that any of the three could have done it. Chris, I think that one of the big things as well last night we have got to give Sean to credit because I think when the team news dropped and James Garner was obviously missing due to illness and you start looking at the team, obviously Seamus Coleman comes in at right back and Ashley Young moves a little bit further forward and Jack Harrison goes into the, the the number 10 role perhaps yeah. behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin. with Decorey moving back and alongside again mm-hmm. I think okay. everyone starts to get a little bit nervous perhaps and thought, oh, the, the, the worst fears of a couple of injuries and a couple of suspensions, and, you know, a bit of an unmayability play- 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 un- un- leaves this team looking very short. But the way Sean Dyche set up last night was superb because I thought Harrison and Young, especially, were were superb.
3: Yeah, I mean, we obviously have our, our team selected, don't we? In, in the Echo, where we we, we don't try and set and guess what Sean Dyke's going to do, but we go what what we do. We tell what Sean Dyche. Yeah, in Sean well do we it. tell him. Okay, all right. And uh, so some people online, and they they all have a go. And maybe you know, no nobody could have predicted that that eleven last night. I mean, you know, you, you you know, it was only. Uh, a, a late illness to, to to James Garner there that meant that the reshuffle and it left us wondering just what they are going to do I mean in the end he actually did um, he made the choice where it was the, the least changes in, in terms of the shape of the team didn't he because we wondered is he going to be is he going to be moving um, actually young centre mid somewhere he's hardly ever played in, in, in his career or is is he going to be using Coleman as like a third centre back but in, in the end it was moving obviously young up to the right wing and then Harrison is going into the Corey role with the Corey moving back, so it kept the shape of the side the same. But obviously, there were a lot of different sort of roles for the for the players who who were in there. I mean, Ashley Young's played in that position a lot in his earlier on in his career, so he's used to that. But well, you know, he was, he's he's thirty eight years of age now, and then obviously the Corey went and played deeper, but still got still got his goals still. Johnny on the spot, but I think amongst it all, it's probably Jack Harrison who who, who deserves um, the most credit because you know he he's just been an out and out winger since he came to the club and he he provided that supply line of, of of balls. I think there was a couple to Calvert Lewin, a nice one. We slipped him in. Uh, Calvert Lewin should have done better with that one. It was a cross. And then, obviously, like I said, the, his, his role in the actual goals that were scored. I mean, so yeah, a, a, a lot of people, as Dyke spoke about didn't need Joe at the end of the game. Uh, uh, the minimum of fuss. People just got on with mm. on with the job. But I think Jack Harrison's probably the one who deserves the most credit for playing in in quite a different role. And we saw with Arnott, Dan Juma, he he struggled in that role when he came in for the Carabao Cup um, tie against um, Burnley, and uh, with the um, core. Um, Possibly going to the Africa Cup of Nations in in the new year. It is a it is a dilemma for Everton how they sort of cope with that. But we sort of we were given some sort of more encouraging answers in that respect um, last night. And the the fact that Jack Harrison shows he can play almost as that second striker or knit their midfield between uh, the front line.
0: When we talk about praise and players, Dolan and. I don't think there's probably enough ways to describe how important he is to having a Football Club and has been to having a Football Club over the years. But Seamus Coleman just continues to prove people around not he? because time and time again, when it looks like the end might be in sight a little bit, he's just catching up for him, injuries, stuff like that. He just comes back and slots in as if like he's never been away. And last night, I know we come off just after the hour mark, but mm-hmm. for that hour... He was absolutely superb.
1: Yeah, he, he, he was very, very good again. And I think in Sheamus Coleman was the, the last-minute introduction. So James Garner got pulled out of the plans just after lunchtime on Thursday of his sickness bug. And as a result, they had the reshuffle. And you know, none of us guessed where how he was quite going to line up Dycha after that. And you mentioned Arnaud Danjuma there, uh, Chris. Obviously, Danjuma may well argue that his strongest position is playing golf as off of the striker like Calvert-Lewin. So for him to not get the nod is probably quite towered it's almost as big as any selection of the team that was on the pitch you know it's clear that um, there's a huge there doesn't appear to be a huge amount of faith there uh, in, in Dan Jim or what he can do um, so and just in relation to Decorey Decorey probably isn't going to the African Cup of Nations but Guy probably okay. Guy probably is um, so there still is a few question marks about the middle of the pitch for, for Everton. but yeah I mean I kind of noted it I was watching you know James Coleman lined up against Andy Gordon at the start and you know you, you is a, a real interesting battle, and um, one of the things I quite liked with Coleman, and we haven't seen it so much from Young. but obviously, they're both of a similar age now. Is that even in the very early stage of the game at nil-nil, and even knowing that he's got Anthony Gordon on, just on the outside of him, Coleman's was really, really keen to push forward. You know, he, he was doing it in the first ten minutes. He's doing it on the outside channel. He's doing it inside of, um, of of Young as well when when he could. And what that was doing was it was forcing Anthony Gordon further back as well. But I was watching them just around seven or eighth minute, and I think Newcastle had a goal kick. And Coleman was was marking Gordon and in the space of about thirty seconds, he must have turned and looked at it about eight, nine, ten times. So the awareness of where he was was just phenomenal. And probably the, the biggest credit you can give to Coleman is that you know, we know that the form Anti Gordon's been in recently. And after just after 20 minutes, Eddie Howe switched flanks. You know, Gordon was getting such little change after Coleman. You know, this is a bloke in his mid 30s who hasn't kicked a competitive ball for the first team since he got pulled off with knee ligament damage in, in May. And, you know, Gordon got such a little change out of him. They, they switched flanks with Almaron, so today. I could try and give him a go at Michalenko instead. And, and that says it all. And Obviously, Yuri know, came off a little bit earlier, died after the games, and it was a minor situation. He thinks Collins one of the players that's going to be assessed today, but there's hope that that's only a a, a short, you know, it's a small issue. Um, so he might be in contention for Chelsea, and it gives Sean uh, something to think about. We speculated a lot, you know. I I, I don't think it's been too controversial. To said Ashley Young's had a difficult season mm-hmm. at right back. We, Especially his place, at the pace. Yeah, and we, we've been saying, you know, some of us have been saying for some time that Nathan Patterson surely is is in line for a, an opportunity. And then since Coleman's come back again, we've then speculated well, is Coleman the opportunity for Deitch to change at right back but save face and not being seen to climb down over Patterson? Mm-hmm. And that may well be the case going forward. Obviously, we'll see how, how Coleman recovers from the issue of caught and caught off, but he ran off the pitch and you know, for those who were still there just after the final, just after the shenanigans in the center circle, it that caught on camera so you can look on your Twitter and see it. There's a moment when, when Coleman goes from the halfway line to the edge of the box in front of the Gladys, just charges at them, gives it the big fist pump that the fans, you know, obviously everybody responded well to. And, um, I mean that the way, the manner in which he he, he ran those twenty, sprinted those twenty yards, it suggests to me that he, you know, he hasn't got a serious injury from from those days. And and that was a nice, obviously lovely to see him on the pitch. But again, the last time we saw him on the pitch for Evans' first team was when he was coming up, when he was giving fist pumps from a stretcher mm-hmm. at the King yeah. of Power. <laughs> you know, To fast forward, that and to the next time to see him giving fist pumps in celebration to Goodison on such a momentous night, emphatic win against very talented opposition. I mean one of the many, many satisfying elements of a of a really enjoyable, memorable night.
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Alan Jones, I've watched on Facebook, believes Sean Dice is doing a great job. And when you think of not just where around this but not this time actually, year exactly because the World Cup was being played, but at the start of football in December, when, yeah. you know, the Wolves game. And when you think back to that Newcastle game in was it April when, yeah. you know, it was a night where we all thought the Skype Championship was, was looming forever. And it's quite a turnaround, isn't it? And it is down to Sean Dyche and the way he's got this team set up. Absolutely. Can I just talk about Jack Addison for a minute, though? Um we just, Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> On Monday, we were talking about the difference between us, you know, trying to get wins at home and what's different to our home form to away form. And I think one of the reasons for that has been is, at home, you've got to be a little bit more creative and insightful, haven't you? Because the opposition will probably sit deep, but probably a bit more defensive. And what we've lacked for several years is, is like that number 10 player. Well, not even number 10 player, it's just a creative influence mm. behind the strike. We've not had one there for, for, for a long time. I know Decore does a job. He's not that player. And Dan German, as you say, is not that player. But last night, it was it was obvious to me immediately. Playing Jack Harrison there, who's was more naturally a forward player, but he, he's not he's not a pacey player, he relies on instinct, doesn't he, in vision and, and can see 10 or 20 yard passes into into, into space and in, into people's feet. He's far more suited to that mm-hmm. role than to Corday and Dan Juma. and that was noticeable last night. I think we lost something in that, because he's not an actual midfield player, there's times where he should have came back and, mm-hmm. and, and, we, and we, there was like a lot of space in the first half I felt on occasions. Um, but, But the the, I I think he he the three is more naturally suited to that role. That's a long term thing. Is is open to debate. And I can't remember the question now, but, but, but <laughs> no, I, just, I just think it. I just think it's a point worth it. It's about dice, wasn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, this yeah.
0: Thing Jones, he believes
2: a great job. Absolutely, yeah, and I think it does I think it does dice in the players at the service when people say, "Oh, Evan, I'm motivated because of the ten point deduction, and we're only doing this because you know we're." Why are think beating not that ten points? Yeah, exactly. You know not do this if all this is because you know we've got a chip on our shoulder and we've got to prove people wrong in the seventh against the world. I don't think it's that at all. I think I think good management by Dyche and the coaching staff, it can take a bit of time to work through to Blythe's last year. And, and I don't think where we were last year that it was a case you could do that. You just had to go from game to game <clears> last year. Couldn't you? Couldn't put any long-term plans in. And this, this start of the season was probably something similar. With, you know, the Santero window was a bit messy and stuff. And so I think it's only really... Been and through those since probably well, since the end of September. Really, we had that crucial game against Bournemouth, didn't we? And I think what you're seeing now is the product of a manager, and a coaching staff putting their message to players, and players understanding that message and understanding their roles in the team. Yeah, I think it might help you feel a little bit more motivated. But it does a disservice to, to Dyson the players to say there's all the stuff going on there that's causing our good form at the moment. So eight hey, wins in twelve matches, something, something like, that. like that. And and yeah, he's doing. Doing a, doing a great job at the moment, but I think the coaching staff are and I think the players are as well. Um, and, you know, top marks for everybody, really, over the over the last sort of, what, two months now, isn't it? Really, yeah, excellent stuff. And uh, Dice deserves all the credits he's uh, been getting.
1: It's quite interesting just on that because obviously, remember after the Sheffield United game, that international break was back in the transfer when there was, he just lost all his players on transfer deadline day. Uh, and then obviously we had the Damari-Grey debacle. I remember around that time, Deitch probably seen the most, it felt like he doesn't give much away in his press conferences. He's not a very emotional character, but it felt like at that point, he was probably at his most subdued, like probably at his most rattled. And I think it was almost as in, there was, a, there was an element probably from him of realizing that things have been so unstable for so long for him that he was probably never going to get to a point of, of, of being in full control if it goes on at Everton. But as difficult as that period was, it was probably also a turning point. Because once you realise that you're never going to have full control, then you can kind of, he often goes on about yeah. control the control, then you can, you can set your store out accordingly. And it feels like since that international break, since Damari Gray left, things have probably been the most straightforward that they've been for Deitch since he came to Everton. The injury situations have been relatively stable. Obviously, there was no threat of anybody coming or going from the squad. And it's just enabling to almost calm everything down and just 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 rebuild. You know, the season started probably two or three weeks too early for this episode. A couple of those awkward little injuries like of McNeil, you know, Dan Juma, um, Calvert Lewin, Brantway to a certain extent at the start of the season. Um, but since he's had the stability of knowing precisely what he's got to work with things have only really got better and better. And like you said about Harrison, I think that's a really good point. Because it was really noticeable, I thought, when we went to Crystal Palace a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, Everett chiesa was just such a joy to watch. Yeah. And the control that he had on that game, just picking up the ball and just running right you know, at the edge of the Evan box. It was just so notable that Evan don't have a player like that, haven't had for, for some time. Um, but when Harrison was there last night, obviously you saw, you saw shades of that. It's not a natural position, but yeah. that through ball that Chris mentioned earlier, that he played to Calvert Lewin and didn't quite get a full power behind his shot. I mean, you know, I've been doing this job for since what March of, of, of last year, and I can't remember many balls. Probably the only other player that I can remember who's had the ability to play that ball or division is probably Alex Awobi, yeah. but he would only ever do it on fleeting occasions. And he often wasn't in that position where he could. Play as a number ten, which is probably its most natural one, and, and do things like that.
2: Yeah, he's got a little bit of both feet as well, he, mm. Harrison. I think going back to the dice thing and picking up on your point, there is—is is this a small elephant in the room? I don't know. Is there a key? I don't know. It's an incessant discussion to be had, and goes back to what you're saying there. So, do you think, because some of the shall we say, some of the table and soft, the pitch for a number of reasons, as we well know, around the club is being taken away, and all this still stuff to be sorted out at boardroom level. Do we think that since that sort sort of quieted down, do you think that's helped Dyche and Fairwell in terms of doing their jobs? And there's a bit, you know, it's quite stable there at the moment. So maybe some of the outside influences that were there previously maybe maybe disappeared. Well, there's been a
1: lot of change and instability yeah. at the very top of the yeah. club, and what that probably has helped, you know, Sean Dyche and, and, and Fairwell too, as Corns kind of reassert their own positions yeah. really and kind of start to. The results and the job that they're doing gives them increasing authority, and the better that they do, the more license they probably have to tell you know, people in suits above them say, "No, this is our domain—the football inside, You can concentrate on everything else." So it's probably less of a distraction.
2: Yeah, because um, I just get the impression that you know when you talk about who's the club now, and the, and this is the way it should be reading really football, that power, whatever, yeah, club, yeah, mm. and that's
1: the problem that what it's been for so long, so, isn't it? Yeah,
2: and, and they haven't, you know, the manager and the, the director of football for a long time, certainly since Michele come coming, haven't, yeah. I'm just wondering when that's helping them, you
3: yeah. know. I remember when Dice was first uh appointed, um, spoke to Malky Mackay, who was um, it gave me his big break in, in coaching when well, uh Mackay was a, the uh, the manager at Watford, I think, and uh. Deitch was his first team coach there. Yeah. And he was talking about how he's seen him evolve as, as a manager. He said, you know, should have got him years ago or whatever. And he said, he's such a great ambassador for the club. You yeah. know, he's that strong presence. You know, you have got that identity. Um, we talked about Frank Lampard. That was one of the big questions, what a Frank Lampard team actually was. He, it's Frank, obviously, had his idea about what that should be and wasn't always borne out in, in the way they were playing. But... I know there's a lot of um, sort of stereotypes with Deitch and he said himself, don't fight the box you're you putting into," But he gives them, rightly or wrongly, that particular identity, the certain values that he, he, he expects from, from his players. And I think that's Evan been crying out for for, for years. What was it eight? He was the eighth manager in seven years and that managerial chair, just have the stability. I just hope, it, you know, when the new owners do come in, you know, if that is 777 or whoever it ends up being, you'd like... Joe just said, leave the football decisions to the, to the football people. And uh, I think that right at this moment in time, I'm not saying he's, a, you know, he's another Howard Kendall, but he's he's just what Everton need right now, in my opinion.
1: He made quite an intelligent point there as well, because you can be a very good ambassador to figurehead for a club in very different ways, can't you? And I think probably felt like Frank Lampard was the the focal point that the Everton board wanted. Yeah. That Sean Dyche was the one that they needed. You know, Frank Lampard was a very, very good ambassador for Everton. <clears throat> football club and you know, the way in which he managed to unite the fans behind him was a big part in helping Everton to stay up that season. Obviously, he's more of a, almost like a, a political um, ambassador, isn't he? More like a Gareth Southgate with, 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 with England, where he says and does the right things and he's, he's quite savvy and tuned in to, to the optics of everything, whereas Sean Dyche almost doesn't want to play that game at all. He just wants to focus on the football. The Royal Blue Podcast
0: from the Liverpool Echo. The royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo chris damien holman watching on facebook but well, he's actually played really well last night but mm. i think the moment of the night was with celebration when he scored that big goal <laughs> and maybe this is the evertonian in me a little yeah. bit perhaps when you see the var check was going on and it <laughs> looks a bit tight you start <laughs> thinking i hope that celebration and the smile wasn't all in vain and it's going to get chalked off by the our friends at Stockley Park but oh, it wasn't be the case and, and for once they I was on Everton's side and Beto was able to celebrate what he has described as a magical moment for him.
3: Yeah, um, I, I observed myself it was, um, I mean, Joe and I were, were, were tucked up in bed but at this point um, but on the, the Echo had the sports Christmas do on Monday night and Conor O'Neill was leading the karaoke charge <laughs> and um, a lot of finger pointing was going on with the showman that he is and better uh, almost reminded me of Connor there from the, the video footage that I've seen the way he was pointing that finger. That <laughs> <laughs> nah, was a great great moment wasn't it and um, we've been saying all along he needs that first one he hit the ground running uh, with it coming off the bench just 24 hours after he signed uh, scoring a, a Doncaster Rovers but then you know, obviously, Premier League defences have been much tougher than playing against League Two opponents. And while he's been playing good running, hard running from Beto, so maybe not always had that composure. The chance, the big chance he missed at Forest at the weekend. So that's probably one of the reasons why Dominic Calvert Lewin went. Straight back in, but um, yeah, it was it was lovely to see, and you just thought you just felt for him as, as that VAR check. I mean, I don't know what the time was. If you get the stopwatch out, which seemed a long time in, in the moment to, for him to to wait to get that c- confirmed. But yeah, and, um, it, it wasn't just um, you know what happened. Gav said before it was a great finish, but it was not like he, he didn't have anything to do, did he? Still had quite a long yeah. way to, to go, and but he was just a force of nature, wasn't he? Bursting through there and uh, end up megging the keeper in the end, but yeah it was it was a love moment I just got to hope that it's it's the fir- the first of many for him because obviously he's Everton's biggest signing of the summer in terms of his transfer fee at a time when you know funds are tight and there's that expectation on him Calvert-Lewin I think does remain you know the main man up front but Beethoven is you know a, a decent alternative there it was interesting before the game Sean Dyke actually said he sees them as actually very different players. I mean, because they're a couple of big men. Um, a lot of people, you know, certainly a lot more of a like-for-like alternative than Neil Mopay ever was. But Dyke explained, you know, he thinks they're actually quite different sort of skill sets and they are off, offers a chance to, to mix things up and over the course of a season, he's a decent alternative.
0: Joe, Mark asks on Facebook, do Everton have a clause in Jack Harrison's loan agreements in which they'll be able to buy him? I think if we see... Performances like we've seen last night, then that questions are going to grow and people are going to be asking that more and more. Yeah, I
1: think the, I think the interesting thing with, with Jack Harrison and his kind of long-term future Evans, if there is one, it's probably less dependent on what Everton do this season and more dependent on what Leeds mm. do this season because I think the way in which those talks have gone on, I think if Leeds don't come up, then I think it becomes he's Evans' player if they want him if they do come up, then obviously they're going to reassess what their options are in their squad build. We know that they've got a lot of wingers there already, Willie Nonto being one of them, whoever, and are after so, so rigorously in the summer. Um, but with that one, I think it's clear that Sean Dyche likes him, clear that Kevin Falwell likes him. They, they identified him and Dan Junior as two of the best loan players available on that market. This, this summer, obviously, one is working out far better than the other. But, you know, I think that uh, it's very clear that... that that Harrison has what it takes to be a Deitch player, success on the Deitch. And I don't think every player has that. So I think if if Everton, well Everton are going to stay up, I think. you know, touch would be something mad would that to happen. They're not they're a relegation side by technicality only. That's why they're in, yeah, you know, because the weapons on paper, not on the pitch. Um if Leeds come up then I think there'll be a, an assessment there as to how vital he might be to their attempt to stay in the Premier League if they don't come up, I think Hughes evidence if they want it, is basically a way of... That's my understanding of the situation. I don't know the precise nature of the contract and what clauses are there, but I think that's what will happen. So, um, so yeah, so we'll have to wait and see if he's had a, a good impact there. Obviously, he got a number of assists and, you know, he's he's chipping in and, and yeah, that was a brilliant moment for Besso. Just really pleased for him. But I think that Beto's probably been one of those players who uh, loses out from Deitch's preference not to make Substitutions because there are probably lots of situations where he probably would have benefited from having the last half an hour of the game. He's, all right, he's a different player to Dominic Calvert Lewin, but he enables Everton to play in the same way. They don't have to change anything tactically if he comes on. They, you know, he did, did well against Doncaster, played well against Sheffield United, was very good in the first um, half against Brentford, laid the foundation for the win, which was Dominic Calvert Lewin's return. And obviously, he scored the, the third goal. Um, you know, I wrote a piece before the game. Uh, on Thursday night, just saying about how the easy thing on from Saturday would be to focus on Beto's miss because he should have scored. Obviously, I would have yeah, played yeah, on his yeah. mind, but mm. really, the, the, the biggest story about Beto was the fact that he'd enabled Deitch to go to Nottingham and play the same way that he wanted to play. And as a result, that Evan got a win. It was Deitch's fifth Premier League away win of the season as um, Evan Boss. It was the first Premier League away win that he'd had where Dominic Cavallone wasn't involved. Mm. Mm. And you know, said this a number of times on this pod and in writing, but there's an element with better where scoring goals almost isn't the main priority for him. It's making sure that when Dominic Cavalier isn't available or needs a rest, that the other 10 players can do the same jobs that they're supposed to be doing and making any changes as as easy to accommodate as possible. Um, If he can add goals, then that'd be brilliant. and, And he did ever so well for that goal. I mean, Nathan Patterson will get the assists on the record books. But, I mean, that's, you won't get many more generous uh, assists than that. Yeah, and every player got them up. But it's a, um, I'm not sure if, if Dwight McNeil got a touch on on the second goal. But, I mean, if Dwight McNeil and, and Nathan Patterson both come away with assists from that game, then, you know, like uh, they, they they would have be been very, very generous, not that not that we all care. But, yeah. Um, yeah, Lots and lots of positives. Harrison is one to take from the whole season so far. I think if Leeds stay down, I think he's an Everton player in the summer.
0: It is December though, gents, and it means that Premier League football comes be sticking fast and unfortunately we're not allowed to bask too much in the glory of the first <laughs> night to win over Newcastle as Chelsea visit some Park on Sunday. Gav Jason Fisher asks, who's watching online, would you start the same team on Sunday or do you bring James Garner back in?
2: Was just thinking about that. you know, on the podcast. I know you're going to talk about Chelsea. When you say "don't change a winning team,"
1: just I, mean, to, yeah. I can say this now because we're, we're recording. It's twenty to one, and we did the we did the Chelsea press conference after the Newcastle game, <laughs> yeah, 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 and it was embargoed yeah. until ten <laughs> yeah, minutes yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's probably just to set about. So James Garner's sickness bud Deitch hopes it's twenty four yeah. hours and we'll, he'll be available for Chelsea. Amadou N'Diaye in contention for the squad. Uh, going to be assessed over the coming days but he's, he's very close to being back in contention for Chelsea and then James Coleman will be assessed there but again hopefully it's minor so just
2: yeah I think, so notwithstanding that I think Coleman if he's a little may be uh, an issue but don't change the winning team I think like Chelsea I think they struggle sometimes playing off from the back like Newcastle did last night and I, I'd go with the same team I quite like Harrison playing that number 10 role so that's certainly but if you do elsewhere I think that would be something that I would like to preserve because I think it gives us an extra edge at home, Um and yeah, there might be some issues. But regarding Coleman but I, I, I think have a change of winning team we played well last night. If if I if I be in the Everton team last night and I'm dropped, first to Sunday, I'd be a bit browned off at the manager to be honest with you. But what's a better phrase?
1: be uh, knocking on his door, would you? I, well, I'd, I'd, I'd <laughs> take a lot balls. Knock on dice. He likes it. Ellis Sims did it. He yeah, likes yeah, it. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. And hey, was my. subsequently sold. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. A lot of many people do. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'd, I'd, probably, I'd probably not do that. Uh, but I, I, if we can't, I know what you were saying about possible injury with Coleman and his fitness and stuff. Now, Keep the same team and, and take it from there would be my uh, my plan for uh,
0: Sunday. If you was Sean Dyche, are you going to be having any difficult conversations with players between now and Sunday?
3: Yeah, I'm torn now because I'd want to get I'd want to get James Garner or Jimmy Garner as as the gaffer calls him, <laughs> back in there if at all possible. But you know, Gaffs you know made some good points there, and certainly about Jack Carson I'd somehow try and get James Garner back in there, but. I mean, you could you could do that, but it's an interesting one, isn't it, if he, if he does? Because then you're saying, another you know, how do you change things in, in central midfield? You know, Because, obviously, I don't think you're going to have Harrison and Decorey sort of playing off off the striker. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit torn. Maybe it'll be that, you know, because of the illness, maybe you just substitute something like that because, you know, it's a quick turnaround Um isn't it? But yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a headache. But it's good that they've actually finally got uh, you know a potential to have this scenario because too often this season the team's been picking itself, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's nice to actually say, oh well, actually there's a couple of alternatives in there.
0: Joe, the visit of Richard Parkinson side will just present everyone with a really good opportunity mm-hmm. to to build that momentum mm-hmm. that they've been building in recent weeks and and make it you know three wins on the bounce because you know, I know we don't like to harp on about it, but take the ten point deduction out the equation and Everton Chelsea and Neck and Neck on the table. Well it'd be above We're
1: Chelsea, above mean, above right? above, yeah. I mean, be incredible. Yeah. Chelsea they spent a billion pounds in free transfer <laughs> windows and you know, um yeah, I mean just coming back to the last point, I, I bring James Carter back in. I think he bring more control than 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 Abdullah DeCorey doesn't it? played very well, but I think I think uh, do would have more control on the ball and just protect the defence a little bit better. I think it would free the core up to press high on that Chelsea side that's strong the player. And I also think that you know, the way Chelsea would line up, they have a bit of fragility on the left side of the defence at the moment. They've got Cucurella who can't quite nail down the place and it's a bit frantic. And they're playing um, uh, Colwell out there who's really a centre-back a, a fair bit as well. So I'd like to have a natural winger in Harris and having a go at that bit and trying to really really punish them and get behind that last man and get the balls into Calvert-Loon and hopefully on rush it to Corey. It's a real opportunity, real opportunity. Chelsea have some wonderful players. How can you not if you spend that much money? They're also a side in transition and um, they're there to be got at and uh, it it will follow the same pattern that Deitch Deitch seems to follow all all the time, I think really. If Evan get the first goal, I imagine it will give them a you know, uh, uh, too much momentum and caused too much disbelief in Chelsea for yeah, you know, for Chelsea to come back at them. Chelsea get the first goal; they've probably got the quality there to to, to hold on, depending on how yeah they play the game. I don't think has doing a bad job at Chelsea. I think he's inherited an absolute mess of a situation, and he's somehow you know and they've got a big injury list as well. Um, but this is a this is still a good this is a good time to play them, I think, um, and it's also a free hit for Everton now, I think.
2: You brought Garner in which is then?
1: I brought Garner in it becomes a um, so Harrison moves out to the right so it's who's starting at right back Coleman or Young and if, if Coleman's fit I start Coleman if he's not then you know for all I say about Nathan Patterson obviously Young's played well in two games in which they kept clean sheets in a row now so probably move Young back to right back
0: and with that revelation it was a at Gav's like heart and seeing Jack Harrison playing the number 10 Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I just I just think I just think it's something that we've been missing for a while. And I saw lots of stuff last night that I've not really seen from an Everton team, especially at home mm. for a while. And he's got the right like, He's got that classic build for the number ten. I not even this you know, not 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 the tallest. He's sort of quite low center of gravity. Uh I just think he's ideal. And um, I'm not sure whether he might have played the leads and stunk the Alps out for, for all I know. I don't know, but he, he just, just give us something last night that I don't think we, we've had. It was immediately apparent in the game. But as, as Joe said, Chelsea may set up differently, and they may want to target the left hand side and maybe want to move, you know, our centre onto the onto our, our right. So we'll see. But it,
0: it, it gives us an option anyway going forward, doesn't it? Harrison? Before we move on to predictions for Chelsea at the Blue watching on Facebook, says Dash has done a great job transforming the mentality. And John Herrera, who's watching from Texas, John, hello. Hey, John. He says, is it true... Early start there, no, yeah. <laughs> is it true Bramford being linked with a move to Spurs? That's uh, something that we spoke about, wasn't yeah. it? before the, the game, because um, there have been numerous
1: Lincoln Bramford with Tottenham. Yeah, Bramford is the biggest story of Evan's January. I think Evan and I are going to have a lot of money to spend, regardless of whether or not the takeover gets approved or, or not. It's going to be a question of, where are Evan financially? How stable are things? There may well be. Jared Bramfway is a future England captain. You know, he has gone from in the summer, he was in the squad that won the under-21 twenty won 21 Euros. Obviously, he was behind Taylor Bellis-Harwood and he was behind yeah. Levi Colwell. I think he's the lead Falkland now, everything that he's done yeah. in the past few months. And it's it's clear that he's a fantastic player. You know, physically, we know he's very good. The way which he just brushed off Fabian Shah and, and Bruno Guimaraes at the end of the game yesterday. So he tried to get to Pickford. You know, he just didn't even have to think about stopping them in their tracks. The way he was so dominant aerially against Alexander Isaac, and obviously the pace that he has as well, coupled with the ball at his feet, left foot, centre back. He says he's left footed and right footed. He tends to play at his left. There, he would be. He will be at the top of the wish list. Yeah. Of pretty much every, certainly every major English club. Man United need centre backs. Arsenal will probably welcome their Spurs. Definitely need centre backs. You know, Chelsea go for every hot prospect under the sun. So the the question for Everton, I think, will probably be, where are they financially, and do they do they need to be willing to listen to offers? Because I think this might be, and we spoke about this on the pod before. This might depend on how things go with takeovers. So there's a lot of uncertainty about Everton's future. One way in which things could play out is that things stabilise quite dramatically from you know, early next year onwards, and all of a sudden Everton go less about Anthony Gordon, getting you know, can how much going to get for him. That's about Richarlison. less about selling Owobi and Cannon on deadline day, and more about proper sustainable planning for the future. January might be the last chance that a club can come to Everton and, and potentially get a player for a bit cheaper than they probably would do normally you know it, maybe get him for if they put 50 million pound in for, for Brantford, it might turn a few heads this time around but Evan can survive to the summer he's probably an 80 million pound plus player and, you know he's, he's I think he's that good Amadou Anana is probably another one to watch on that front so it's going to be really interesting Spurs obviously are, are really keen but like we said last night it's interesting it's in I, I'd be one I would assume that every big club with the exception of Liverpool probably because of the relationship, there will probably be watching wait and want him, and be thinking mm-hmm. about making a move for him. With Spurs, the noise that's coming out of Spurs is really interesting. So, on the one hand, they got that they're after Branfweight. On the other hand, the, the, there are credible rumours from one of our colleagues down at Football London that, that they're also interested in Ben Godfrey. Now, there is a huge amount of disparity there, which suggests that in their search for trying to sort things out at centre back, they're looking at young, relatively young players who are cheap and easily available to. Potential, mm-hmm. you know, international captains of the future. So I think they're probably casting their net far and wide. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that they're interested. I would assume that there will be big interest, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bid for some from someone for, for Branflete in January. Hopefully, Everton are in a position where they can turn it down because you know he he is clearly a very very good player. And he's one for the future.
0: Yeah, Nomad Scouts Watchers on Facebook says 150 million for yeah. And While I don't maybe think 150 million, I do think he is very quickly turn into 100 million plus i think i
1: think so i think you know if everton can and maybe maybe they will have found it by january if everyone can get to a position of reasonable financial security then then i don't see why they couldn't turn yeah they they couldn't put a hundred million pound price i
0: think as well that the big thing with brown is that when you when you look at him now his performances it's just the norm isn't it Mm. he's still so good i mean like last night he was us you know, yeah. again, yeah. but you just become used to it now. You know it's yeah. not you don't get excited by it. because you just what you come to expect from them.
3: Yeah, I mean the last thing we want to do is uh, dominate. You know, a, a podcast after a result like that about se- selling Jared Bramfway. Um We don't want to be sort of um, setting that precedent. But yeah, in terms of a potential price tag, if they can like as Joe says, avoid having to flog him at a cut price, relative cut price in, in January. I think you are talking the potential for a a, a nine figure fee like Mo- Moises um, Casado, 110 million to Chelsea I when mean, you look at Bramthwaite, the English premium the fact that you know he's an absolute specimen I mean, he's he 6 foot 5 He's a you know a man mountain I said uh, cut um, wood down to size a forester you know he felled wood at the forest on on, on Saturday um, you know he's described as a man mountain he's more like a you know, gentle hill when Jared Brantwake had finished with him um, yeah, it's just, it's just because, like I say, it's becoming the norm, um, as is my uh, my puns. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it you know, the sky's the limit. I mean, as Joe says, you know, it's not too fanciful to, you know, he continues on this projector. But um, to say that he's, you know, a potential England captain, you no, know, certainly he's probably ahead. He's certainly ahead of where John Stones was, you know, at his um, relative stage of his career. I mean, obviously a slightly different sort of centre-back in the, the way they both play the game. But, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it is becoming it is becoming the norm, and it's getting the best the best out of both of them. You know, Tarkovsky, and you know, an absolute you know competitor alongside them. You know, he didn't need the armband to show you know, he's a defensive leader. Last night, obviously, he ended up with it once Coma went off. But you know that bone crunching challenge in the first half. Gladys Street loved that, didn't they? in between them, you know, they're they're, they're a really good uh, partnership for Dyke I think, you think you should...
1: for as well? Yeah, I think. yeah.
0: I think it should be clear as well when we're not trying to sell Jack. Yeah, yeah. We're are no, not, not Facebook th- <laughs> Marketplace. Yeah, we're we're, not, not, we're right. not pitching
2: them for an option <laughs> or anything. Like but that. We're them a compliment. <laughs> them that's that's what the are, thing, yeah. isn't it? Inevitably, you, you, you know you you end up saying you know we're saying he's a hundred whatever pound. We're paying them a compliment there. We're paying them other yeah. well, compliments aren't because you know, I was great
1: recruitment. I don't want there. to do this down, but I don't think Spurs scouts so, are oh, again forty fifth minute of this podcast. You know
2: for it's a natural thing isn't it it's an interesting comparison with the stones though you want to move on but like the I mean, stones are sold after would had like two and a half years of that and one place only had yeah. half half season mm-hmm. as the if that so mm-hmm. it's like you know you have that 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 might be the the, the thing that puts clubs off they might want to give them a season before the before they spend yeah. money
1: that'll be the biggest indication yeah, yeah, of yeah. why this club is behind the scenes when when we get to January I think because yeah. if if, if if there is any sense that Brandwick can be got up by by a club, then I would be astonished if someone didn't try and come no, up for him. Just one
0: quick one, Joe, before we finish. Mark asks on Facebook: Is there any update on the seven 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 takeover?
1: <laughs> We're going for the motions. Nice <laughs> 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 easy one to finish off. Go, then uh, yeah, it's just um, obviously yeah the the regulatory bodies are going for the paperwork. Seven 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 expressed some confidence it'd be done before the um, the end of this year. So obviously we're running out. We've got three weeks left. Um, I think the reality is you know it's all going on behind closed doors. So I can't, if I'm honest with you, I can't give a a, a firm update. Otherwise it's just it's just a wait and see at the moment. So you know, like we said recently, I think if the Premier League give as much, pay as much rigor to their finances as they have to Everton's finances in relation to the points deduction, then it could be quite an interesting, you know, little scrutiny process into 777, because there are a lot of questions. You know, certainly in the public domain, there are far more questions and answers around them and what their plans are and how they'd fund Everton. They were again, had a presence, or the representatives had a presence at Goodison again um, for, for Newcastle. So we know that the points deduction isn't something that was necessarily going to put them off um nor was necessarily a relegation battle i I think that they'll be heartened and probably be believing that neither of those things are going to be an issue this season with, with the way things are going. Um, and it'll probably strengthen them a little bit because they're not, a, they're not a unit that comes in and pumps money into the transfer coffers of the clubs that they go into. So it may well be a little bit of relief from them that if they do get approval, they're not coming into January with Everton six points adrift and maybe needing to dip into some some money to try and find some inspiration from, f- from elsewhere. That doesn't look like it's going to be necessary at, at, at the moment. They had a big boost on Thursday night with Vasco da Gama who were one of their one of their other clubs in their portfolio. They stayed up on the last day of the season. Um, they got a good win, um, which meant that they stayed in Brazil Serie A, so they consolidated their place, I think, in promote the season before. Um, but yeah, if, if I'm being you know, honest, I can't give you precise updates to where it is, but you know, we would expect an announcement at some point in the coming weeks, bearing in mind the timeframe that they set.
0: Just before we go out to positions, yeah. Chris Beasley has the chance for... Royal Blue listeners to get their hands
3: on some Everton programs. Yeah, we discussed this the other day. You know, if you're willing to come down to, to Echo Towers here at St. Paul's Square, i to unpopular belief. we are based in Liverpool, not
0: Manchester. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ah, ah, yeah ah, ah, you don't ah, have
3: ah. to go to the back end of Oldham to collect this. You, um, Liverpool City Centre, um, not just this one from last <laughs> night, but you know, there's, 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 there's plenty of them there. There's over probably would retail at over £100 in total if you were to, to, to buy them all. Um, yeah, I'll. Programs, Evan programs, home and away for the last couple of seasons. So everyone who's sent us a comment, sent us a question today, you'll go into a draw and then we'll pick one of you out and if you can get yourself down there, is a nice little early Christmas present for you. And before we finish
0: because you could shoot the fast but even longer but we have got work to do and Gav's going up tonight so <laughs> Gav's going out this afternoon Gav's going up to about five minutes yeah 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 back
2: out
1: in Chester isn't he uh, I think Chester blue <laughs> no no no, no. Yeah. we do need to wrap things up shall
0: so we we will finish as we always do on a Friday where our predictions for Chelsea Joe 2 11 2-0 B's uh, one bees Gav one eleven. I'll go 2-1 Everton and uh, Ian crawl behind the camera what you got
3: well. what what,
0: what? Oh. that's that's oh. why he there wasn't it? was there Ian sat on the fence but we will be back on Monday to look back on again more for Chelsea and look ahead to a big week for Everton as they head to take more a week on Saturday but thank you very much for listening and thank you very much for watching on Facebook Live we've beaten a real bit of the podcast